Um, today's is Pentecost Sunday. I think Mina gave away most of my sermon today when she came up and talked for like one minute. She gave away basically my sermon. Uh, but Pentecost Sunday is uh, something that we as Christians, we don't necessarily like celebrate, you know, because it's, it's mainly a Jewish holiday. Um, it's it's the Jewish feast of uh, Shavat. I don't know if you guys ever heard like, in, you know, Jewish people talk about like Shavat and like, you know, Sukkot. Sukkot is a, a feast of booths. And there's Passover, Pesach, and these are the three major feasts that Jewish people have where all of the Jewish men, um, throughout, all around Judea and all of the places around, every year they would come and make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate these, um, holidays. And, and so Shabbat, which is a, um, feast of the wheat harvest. So around this time, 50, 40, it's basically seven weeks. So 49 days after Passover, they would celebrate the wheat harvest. But more importantly, it's celebrating um, the giving of the law. So the, the word Pentecost, it's like a, it comes from a Greek word, but um, it basically talks about the first five books of the, the, the Jewish Bible, Hebrew Bible, um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's considered the law, right? It's the law of God that was given to Moses at Mount Sinai. And so Shabbat or Pentecost is a celebration of that, celebration of um, the Jewish people, uh, like receiving the law through Moses. And so the Jewish, the, for the Jews, Pentecost surrounds around the giving of God's law, right? Now for us Christians, Pentecost has a different significance, and that significance can be found in the book of Acts, mainly chapter 2. Uh, and to bring, oh my, this mask is like, it's too small for my huge face. Um, to bring some context into this, uh, Jesus was raised from the dead. Uh, he went to Jerusalem for Passover. He was, uh, you know, he was executed. He died. Three days later, he raised from the dead. And um, forty, and basically, you know, we when I would read the Gospels, you know, young, and when I was young, and I would read the Gospels, I, I thought like Jesus rose again from the dead, said hi to his homies, and then took off. Right? That's kind of how we. When you're young, you kind of see Jesus doing that because the Gospels doesn't really record any of the things that Jesus did between rising from the dead and um, resurrecting into heaven, or ascending to heaven. But when you read the book of Acts, it, it, he says, Luke, who actually is um, accredited the book of Acts and the book of Luke, Gospel of Luke, he says that Jesus was around for 40 days um, teaching and, and encountering people and meeting people. And at one point, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.6 that Jesus appeared to over 500 people at one time. And so after appearing to all of these disciples, Jesus in the book of Acts, around 40 days after his resurrection, right, he ascends into heaven. But before he goes, he gives his disciples this promise in Acts 1. He says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Even now, after Jesus died and rose again from the dead, he's, his disciples don't get it. They think Jesus is here to raise up a political kingdom. Right? This whole time, Peter and the disciples, they thought, oh, Jesus is going to become like the new David. He's going to take over, get the Romans off our backs, and we're going to become this nation again. right? So even now, as Jesus has died and rose again from the dead, they're still expecting this nation of Israel, this kingdom of Israel, to be raised up. And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So he ascends. And right now, he's currently seated at the right hand of the Father, right? And so as Jesus ascends to heaven, he leaves them with this promise. He has been speaking for, to them um, over and over again. He's been telling them, you know, the Holy Spirit is coming. You know, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And when I go away, the Holy Spirit will come. The helper will come. You know, and he's going to testify concerning me. Everything that he does is going to basically point to what I've done here. And, and he's going to, um, you know, convict the world of sin and righteousness. So this is what Jesus has been promising for a long time now. For the past, you know, three years, he's, he's been mentioned this many times. And, and then after he goes up into to heaven, his disciples, uh, Acts records it as 120 of them, right? These are the people that were following Jesus. It wasn't just the 12 disciples that followed Jesus, right? They, they were the chosen ones by Jesus, but there was a lot of people following Jesus, right? Jesus was very popular. Right? He would go into a city and he would come with like a big entourage. Right? There were like a lot of people following him. And so 120 of these followers of Jesus were gathered in the upper room in Jerusalem. And in verse, verse 14 it says, All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together and with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brother. And then in chapter 2, we're going to read the whole chapter today. I know it's a little long, but I feel like it's a very important passage for us to read on, on Pentecost. Uh, it reads like this, and I'll read it to you guys. If you guys have a Bible, you guys can follow along. But it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astounded, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that they, we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and uh, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, I know Egypt, and the parts of Libya, uh, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you supposedly, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in that last day, in the last day, it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see vision and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes the great and magnificent day. 
and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourself know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hand of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades and let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life and will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of, of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are, we are witnesses. Before being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make the enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls himself. And with many other words, be he bore witness and continue to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from the, this crooked generation. For those who received his words were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship of breaking of bread and prayer and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. Um, that was kind of long, but I felt like... um. It's a, it's a good thing to read the book of Acts. A long time ago, I think when I, when we first came to Busan, I did a whole series on the book of Acts. It took a long time. Um, but, you know, the book of Acts is a very important to us believers because it is, it really characterizes the birth of the church, right? In the Gospels, we talk, we see Jesus and what He did and how He set up life for us. And the book of Acts is a demonstration of how what Jesus did is supposed to manifest into our lives. Um, and so, 
you know, we read this chapter and we basically, on this day of Pentecost, this first Pentecost after Jesus ascends into heaven, what we see is the birth of the church. And the birth of the church, first of all, it comes supernaturally. You have to mark this. Right? It was not created by a man that gathered together uh, one day and started to make plans and decisions. And, you know, they didn't have like a, a pastor's meeting and said, all right, we should start doing this. The church was birthed supernaturally by the Spirit of God. In essence, the church was birthed through the Holy Spirit. Right? We are all gathered like this. So imagine 120 of us in here. We're praying and we're crying out to God. Spirit of the Lord comes, and they don't know what they're what's happening. They're like, "Oh, let's start the church." But this was the plan of God, right? And one thing that is significant is that the church was birthed on the day that the Jews celebrated the giving of the law. Now, remember Jesus back in Matthew five, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he says, "Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them." For truly I say to you, under, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Right? And so the Jews, back then, the people that actually crucified Jesus, right, they were all about the law. Right? They're just like, man, you know, you, it was like a competition of who was better at the law, right? And if we were Pharisees and Sadducees back, back then, we would all be like, dude, like, dude, I'm way better at the law than AJ, right? And then AJ would tell Josh, like, no, you know, that guy Caleb, dude, he sucks at the law, right? He, he says he's good. And then it is, this is a competition, right? They all place themselves under the law, right? But on, on, on this day, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the church's birth, right, on this day that the Jews celebrate the law, we see the coming of the, of the new covenant. And in that new covenant, we see you know, what, what this new covenant is all about. It's about grace, it's about mercy, and it's about what Jesus has done on the cross. And so it's an indictment against the Jews that rejected Jesus, right? Because of the law. But it's the blessing to the church who receives the fulfillment of the law, right? It's not that the law got, Jesus got rid of the law, right? It's like, oh, we're not under the law anymore. The law sucks. No, the law does not suck. Anything that God creates does not suck, right? A lot of people think this way. They're like, oh, you're under the law. No, we, through Jesus Christ, we have, we have fulfilled, God has fulfilled the law in us, right? We have to understand the law is perfect, just like God is perfect. Everything that God establishes upon, it, through His will, right, what He does is perfect. So the law is, is not like faulty, right? We think that the law is like broken. No. The law is perfect because God is perfect, right? But, but, but we are faulty, right? We suck, right? And because we are sinful, we can never fulfill the law, which is perfect, right? And so, you know, if anything, you know, we always say, oh, like the law, the law. No, the law is perfect. We are faulty. And, the, and, and now Jesus came so that, that in us, the law can be fulfilled through what he did on the cross. So this is amazing. It's like this is God's poetic justice and timing, right? Is that Jesus Christ came and as he goes up into heaven, the Spirit of God comes. Right? It's this picture of the fulfillment of the law through Jesus, and, and it's carried out through the power of the Holy Spirit. Another significant thing that happens on Pentecost Sunday, after Jesus goes to heaven, is that the disciples, they encounter the Holy Spirit, right? It's, you know, this crazy thing happens in this room, and they start speaking in other language, or better yet, they just start talking, and other people from other countries and other tongues, 
They are able to hear their own language being spoken. It's like a, you know, it's a supernatural phenomenon. And they're, they're hearing the gospel preached in their own language. Verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And we know that none, that one significant thing from this passage is like the gift of tongues, right? So if you come from a Pentecostal background or a charismatic background, like many of us may be, Right? We, we understand and we think, oh yeah, the gift of tongues is important. And it is. And one day we will preach on that, you know, if you guys are up for it. But there's a more important thing that is seen here in the book of Acts and in this phenomenon of people hearing the, you know, their tongues being spoken in their own language. And it's this thing where as the church is birthed, God is breaking down barriers. Right? And it's a sign that the church will be multi-ethnic, accepting of all races and ethnicities. And although the world might be hung up on racism and, and color lines, the one place where these barriers will not exist is the church. At the birth of the church, we see this amazing sign where God says, this is not just about the Jews, not just about, you know, you know, one na- one race, one, you know, whatever, but all people under the sun, right, is going to be accepted, is going to be a part of my people. Now, that's why I love our church. It, throughout our, we're a small church, right? We're a very small church, but there's a many ethnicities and, 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 you know, like races and nationalities here in our church. We have a, someone from Guatemala, Philippines, Canada, Russia, South Africa, you know, like Korea, America. There's so many people represented in such a small church. Canada. Canada I said Canada, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and and I, I feel like it, it really is a picture of what God wants to see in His bride. Now, I don't. I'm, that, it's not like an indictment against Korean churches here in Korea. You know, it, it's an ethnocentric country. There's only Koreans here, so you, you can't have a church, multi-you know, cultural church in Korea. They're all going to be Koreans. But I'm saying, well, when all the people of God are gathered, when Jesus comes back and we stand before Jesus, we're going to be we're going to be like, wow. There's so many different people and color and creeds and, and, and like, you know, nationalities and ethnicities represented here because this is the heart of God. This is what God declares. And it's a picture of this unity, uh, that we see here in the book of Acts and, and Pentecost. Um, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, but going back to my sermon on this day, the day that of Pentecost, we see the birth of the church and we're, Reminded once again of the words of Jesus back in Matthew 16. You know, he asked his disciples, like, who do people say that I am? And a lot of them was like, oh, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah. Right? But they're like, who do you say that I am? Who do you think that I am? And Peter gets up and says, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And, and Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, uh, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you, Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build the church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is like right here, he's, he's doing a word play on words. Because the word, the name Peter, and, and the, the word for rock sounds almost identical, right? In the Greek, Peter is pet, Petras, and the word rock is Petra, right? So, the name Peter actually means rock, right? And so, as Jesus calls Peter, he's saying, Peter, right, rock, right? He was basically saying, hey, rock, I'm going to build on this rock, right, the church. You're going to be one of the foundational figures for the church. 
Now I'm sure the disciples, as, as this is happening, they're reminded of the words of Jesus, because Peter, you know, Peter who's always messing up, you know, because right after this, this scene with Jesus, where Jesus gives him this pat on the back, literally like a few verses later, Jesus calls him Satan. He's like, get behind me, Satan, right? He's always sticking his foot in his mouth. He's always messing up. But Peter, all of a sudden, gets up and he preaches. Nowhere in the Bible does it talk about Peter ever preaching a sermon. right? But he gets up, he preaches a sermon, and 3,000 people are added to the church. 3,000 people are saved. right? And Peter goes on to be one of the founding figures, the main figures, in the in the beat in the building up of the church, right? Paul was like a church planner, you know. He was he went out and he planted churches. Peter remained in Jerusalem, right? He was a central figure that would would build up the church. Je- Jesus builds the church through Peter, and it starts here in in Pentecost as Peter takes his place, and it all started in this upper room, 120 people, you know, seeking the Lord, 20 120 men and women. And Christianity and the church is church's birth, and the and, and the message of Jesus Christ spreads to almost every tribe, every tongue, and you and me sit here today, and we're worshiping Jesus because of what God did through these hundred and twenty people in this upper room. Right? It is a powerful moment that happened, and from this experience in the upper room as the church's birth, I believe that there's some key symbols that mark what the church is supposed to be like. Right? I'm not talking about denominational stuff. Because right? ultimately, this is my belief, this is my personal belief that denominations are, are no good. Right? Uh, denominations uh, is not from the Lord. Right? It's just our human flesh you know, uh, you know, trying to make church what it is most comfortable for us. So I'm not, I'm not talking about denominational things. I'm not even talking about like, gifts of the Spirit. You know, these are things that you know, is for a different time. But I believe that there's foundational things here that happens in this chapter that is very important to church. And I believe that as a church and as individuals that are a part of the church, we really have to hold fast to this truth. So the first thing that I want to point out is prayer and worship. Acts 1.12 Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered... They went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. But these followers of Jesus, they, they just saw their Savior and Lord executed, him raised from the dead, and then him descend into heaven, right? And, and, and they miss Jesus, right? There's this longing. They all stay together. They gather together. And this is an important thing, right? In their minds and in their hearts, they believe that Jesus would return soon in their lifetime. They all genuinely believe that, right? They all genuinely believe, okay, Jesus is coming back soon. And so their prayer and how they prayed and how they worshiped was accordingly. Right? And we have the church. We need to have this in our hearts. We have to pray as if Jesus is coming back soon. Maranatha, come Lord, you know, come Lord Jesus. And you know, and I want to ask you, do you think that the church is praying like this today? Do we pray? Do our church do we pray as if Jesus is coming back soon? Do we have an expectation in our hearts for Jesus to come back soon? Do we want Jesus to come back soon? This is a hard question because this subject 
right? For a lot of people, it can bring anxiety. And it's something that we need to tackle as, as a group of people. But do we truly want Jesus more than anything? Because it ultimately means if Jesus came back today, we want him to come back today. And then if you guys don't feel like, oh, I don't know, I want Jesus, it's okay, right? I'm not, I'm not like putting you on the spot and saying, oh, you're wrong, like, you know. I'm just saying that this has to be the heart of the church as we come together, right? And we have to seek and, and hunger, get to a place where we're like, Jesus, come back. Come back soon. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come now. And I believe that in the, as the church is birthed, they have this heart, and this is a heart that we as the believers, as the church, as, as the, the big C church, as the, the church all around the world, we have to come to this place where we cry out for Jesus to come soon. This has to be the prayer of our hearts. But I want, but, you know, I believe that a lot of people in a lot of, you know, today, you know, it's okay if Jesus didn't come in back in our lifetime, right? And, and, and a lot of churches, you know, they, they would, they would rather, they pray and they plan and they seek accordingly to Jesus not coming in our lifetime. But I believe that what we see in this, the beginning of the church and the beginning of, you know, the birth of the church, we have this church that believed in their heart and believed in their minds that Jesus was going to come back soon. They're thinking like, three years tops, right? That's how they're thinking. Like, oh, like Jesus is going to come back, you know, like, you know, the year three, I don't know, like year four, and then they, you know, I don't know when they started counting from, you know, when Jesus, you know, ascended, but or when he was born, but, you know, like, like they're thinking within a few years, Jesus is going to come back, right? And they have this desire, they're hungry for Jesus to come back. And I believe that this is a mark of the church, that we need to see in the church today. And then the next point is that the church is marked by the Holy Spirit. Number two, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Two things that stand out to me in this passage is wind and fire. Wind and fire. Now, throughout the Bible, we have heard of the Holy Spirit talked about in this manner, wind and fire. John 3, 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not where, you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Even the word spirit in the Hebrew is ruach. You have to have a ch at the end, right? It's ruach, and it literally means air in motion. It's like the breath, right? <sighs> right? That's what the spirit is. And it's used to talk about the breath of God, right? Being, you know, breathed into Adam and comes alive, right? And, and that, 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 that thing that hovered uh, in the surface of the, of, of, of creation, right? Before he created the earth and all, this is the spirit, right? This is breath. This is this, 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 this wind that, that remains, right? In the Greek, it's called pneuma. And, uh, it, it's where we get the word pneumatic, right? Pneumatic tools are air operated tools. You know when you see a race? Have you ever seen those car races? They go to the pit stop and they have those things go, <laughs> and then they take off the tire really quick. And that happens because there's a huge air compressor that's able to turn like really, really, you know, tightly wound screws really quickly, right? This air, right? It's wind. So we have this imagery and this description of the Holy Spirit being like the wind compared to the wind, and also fire. The Bible tells us that our God is a consuming fire. 
There's a, the whole aspect of refiner's fire, the fire that burns away all of the dross, all of the impurities in metal. You know, the fire of God comes, right, and He burns away all, as He burns us, right, all of that crud that comes to the surface burns away, and what you're left with is pure gold. You know, in, in the Old Testament, the fire of God is a sign of God's acceptance, right? Abraham makes his covenant with God, God has him take all the animals, it's a really gruesome scene where, you know, from biggest to smallest, he cuts all of these animals in half and lays them on the ground, starting from like a bull all the way down to like a little pigeon. And they all split up in half and then there's blood everywhere and then he prays and then, you know, he, he gets really sleepy and, and the Spirit of God comes and starts to walk amongst the people, amongst the pieces of the animals. And then this fire of God comes and lands and just like consumes the offering and it talks about the acceptance of God. Elijah and the with the prophets of Baal, right, having this competition, and 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 the prophets of Baal have all these, you know, like you know, dead animals, and they want to call down Baal to like, you know, accept the sacrifice. They're all whipping themselves. Nothing happens. And Abraham comes and pours water on the on the sacrifice. The worst thing that you can do to burn anything is he pours water. All this water on the sacrifice. He prays, and the fire of God comes from heaven and burns up. He licks up every drop of water and consumes the sacrifice. And it's this picture of God's acceptance. The fire of God is God's accepting our sacrifice. God is, is accepting of us. And the fire of God is also a sign of God's presence. Like the God's the burning bush. Moses is in the in the wilderness tending his sheep, and in this burning bush, not consumed by the fire. And it's like you know Moses, take off your shoes because the the ground that you're standing on is holy ground. And John the Baptist says that Jesus is coming. He says, I baptize with water. He will baptize with Holy Spirit and fire. And so there's this imagery of the Holy Spirit in a God being compared to wind and fire. And what is the significance of this pertaining to the Holy Spirit? And I believe that the significance of the wind is for us to be led by the Holy Spirit. Led, led guided, directed by the Spirit of God. We read John 3.8. I just read it earlier. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And it's this picture of the wind blowing, and we don't know where the wind comes from. We don't know where it's going to take us. We don't know where, where it's going. And, and it's, it's that way with the Holy Spirit. We may not know where we're going. We may not know how to get there. But it's understanding that following and being led by the Holy Spirit is the best thing for us. And, and as a church, we have to be sensitive and constantly be listening to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'll give you a great example is how our church ended up worshiping in this sanctuary, right? Last year at this time, if you told me that we were worship, we were worship at a toy museum in Helen Day, I would have said, you are cuckoo. For Cocoa Bus, right? I was like, what are you talking about? A toy museum? Right? Somebody told me, like, hey, you're going to move out of this building in Guangali and you're going to, you're going to worship at a toy museum. And I'll be like, dude, you're on crack, right? Because last year around this time, I was really stressed out. I was like, oh man, because our rent in our previous century was starting to go up really high. And, you know, our numbers weren't that big. And, you know, we were, we were paying out all this rent. And I was like, oh, we need to find a sanctuary. And so we started thinking, like, okay, we have to start searching for another place that we can rent, you know, and, and move all of our equipment. And I was getting stressed out about that. And then all of a sudden, I started praying, and the Holy Spirit said, hey, you guys are not going to move into a sanctuary 
you're going to go and borrow a sanctuary on Sunday. And I told that to Mina. I was like, Mina, I, I feel like one shouldn't like get locked into any kind of lease for like any time. I think we're supposed to go and talk to some pastors and see if we can borrow sanctuary space on their Sundays. And so we started calling around and Mina went to her contacts. I went to my contacts that we went through Rodney and we started asking these pastors and all these pastors are very obliging. They're like, oh yeah, we'd love to have you, you know? But their spaces were so tiny, right? It was like half this room size. You know? I was like, oh, it's a little too small. And I found this one place up in PNU. It was a great space. The pastor was great. It's an amazing God, an amazing man of God. And he's like, oh yeah, well, you guys can use our space. And we, we, we checked that place out. And we found out about this place through one of Mina's contacts. Mina's mom's like pastoral friend that lives up in Seoul. I just came here one day and said, oh, that's a great space. And they asked them and they're like, oh, and so as we were seeking it out, we were completely led by the Spirit of God. We came here, we talked to the guy that's in charge and told him about our story and, and he told us about his stories and they started to line up like prophetically and the Spirit of God was just in there and all of a sudden he's like, oh yeah, you guys you guys should just worship here. Right? And, and it just happened being like, I had, if you would have told me last year that to like look for a toy museum, I would, didn't even know a toy museum ex- existed in Busan, right? Who the heck, what's a toy museum, right? Like, I've never even been to a toy museum before. But it's the Spirit of God. It's being led by the Spirit of God. And I believe that this is what the wind represents here. And this is the way that the the first church operated. They were constantly being led by the Spirit of God. Paul and Silas, they're in prison, right? They're not freaking out. They're just worshiping. And the Spirit of God comes and manifests, shakes the world. The the, the gates open and he's able to walk out, right? These are the things that happen when we're continually being led by the Spirit of God. And, and we have to know that where we're going and what we're going to do, we may not know, but we have to receive it in faith. And we have to know that it is the best for us. And the fire. What do we know about God's fire? When we're led by the Spirit of God, He leads us into His fire. The fire of God is a symbol of consuming. Right? He burns away all the junk so that what remains is gold, what remains is pure. And, and that what happens, that's what happens in His presence. And, and I said this before, is that you, you cannot find yourself in the presence of God and not be transformed. Right? You can't. Right? You, you can, A, not enter the presence of God, Right? A lot of us, you know, we try, but we don't, we fail because we're either lazy or we have sin in our lives or we're just like, you know, we just don't want God enough. But when we truly get ourselves into the presence of God through grace, we stand before Him, there's no way that we cannot be changed. These disciples were radically transformed by the fire of God that fell upon them. They went from ordinary people to people that flipped the world upside down. Acts 17, these Jewish leaders, are complaining to the authorities. They're saying, they say, these men have turned the world upside down. What are you going to do about that? Right? And so only the presence of God, where we experience the fire of God, that will transform us in making an impact for His kingdom in this world. And as a church, we are to be a church of wind and fire. A church led by the Spirit of God, coming into the presence of God, and experiencing the fire of God. And our church has had its ups and downs. There's some of us that's been us, been with us from the beginning for a long time. We've had our ups and downs. We were at one point a very charismatic church with signs and wonders, right? And it was very like, you know, 
and 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 you know, the, along came with that uh, some spiritual abuse, and you know, I'm not going to go into that, but we went through this long healing of in a, a season of healing and transformation, and now we don't seem to be very charismatic anymore. But one thing that I learned from this experience is that we can never put God in a box. We cannot define God's presence and God's fire based on what we have experienced in the past because God is always doing a new thing. But it's about seeking Him and finding Him in the things that He is doing. Right? Now, five years ago or ten years ago, if I would have seen what God is doing at our church now, I would have mocked it. I would have been like, there's no fire of God here. What are the people screaming? What are the people rolling around on the floor? Right? That's probably how I would have judged our church today. But I believe God's presence is here and He's doing a new thing. It's not about defining God, but about God defining us. And we, we do that by constantly looking to the Holy Spirit and being led by the Holy Spirit into His fire, His presence. Does that mean our church right now is perfect? No. Can we do, be doing more? Yes. Can we be, you know, like, you know, can we be a better church? Yes. But it's not about following a method to get there. It's about following the Holy Spirit to get there. It's being led by the Spirit of God. And when we're truly led by the Spirit of God, we will be consumed by His fire. It may not look the same as it did before. Right? And, I, and does that mean that our church will not, you know, be, see signs and wonders and will not see, you know, the way that it was? No, we don't know. But we want to be led by the Spirit of God more than anything else. And number three, when we are praying like Jesus is coming back soon and we're being led by the Spirit into His, into His, you know, presence and into being led by Him into His fire, as we are filled with the Spirit of God, we now are empowered by the power of God. And that's my next point. The Holy Spirit comes with power. And here's the thing about power of the Holy Spirit. It always geared towards transforming lives. And the power of God will never Manifest in a way where it's not our ultimate goal is to transform a life or transform a soul, because he, the Holy Spirit always tests about, testifies about what Jesus did or Jesus does, and what did Jesus do? He came and he's all about his bride. He's all about the church. He's all about transforming lives, changing lives, saving souls. The bride that is sanctified, transformed into His image, and this is who is living in you. The Holy Spirit in you. He has the power to transform your life and has the power to use you to transform the people around you. You have the power of God at work in you to be used and save people that are going to help. To bring eternal salvation into people's lives. And you guys think like Elon Musk is probably one of the most influential people around in Conley. You, you think about like who's, who's doing amazing things right now on the earth and you think, oh, Elon Musk, founder of Tesla, all the electric cars out there, he basically started... And everybody else is copying him. SpaceX trying to get a man to go to Mars. This is crazy, right? Right? But do you know that all on this earth will one day pass away? It will just one day be gone. It will no longer exist. But what you do through the power of the Holy Spirit to help transform somebody's life, even if it's one person, that's an eternal reward and it's an eternal effect. It will follow you into eternity. The power of God has eternal reward and eternal consequences. That's, that is the power of God at work in your life. And that is the power of God that needs 
to be at work in this church, in our church, in the church, in the bride of Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit. You know, you go to work, the Holy Spirit leads you to talk to a co-worker that doesn't look so, not like, looks like they're not doing so great. And you step out in faith. Have you ever had a moment like that where you're like, hey, Holy Spirit's like, I want you to talk to that person. And a lot of times I'm like, ah, it's alright. <laughs> they're kind of mean, you know. Alright, they're, you know, they're just, just very off-putting. Holy Spirit will tell you like, hey, I want you to talk to that person. And, and I want them, I want you to just like, you know, be my voice, be my uh, sounding board into their lives. And so you listen and you, you say, hey, how are you doing? And they open up and talk about all the difficulties they're having in your life and you have a chance to pray for them. You step out in faith and faith is a place of power, right? You know, power comes through faith. And now God starts using you to help this person and Holy Spirit moves upon their heart. And all of a sudden they start getting curious about church and they come to church and God encounters them and all of a sudden they're saved. When that happened, all of heaven rejoices. All of the angels rejoice. Right? You know, you know what happens when somebody buys a Tesla? Nothing. Right? They can buy a thousand Teslas. Heaven does nothing. One person comes to the Lord through you. All of heaven rejoices. Because God's economy, all the Teslas in the world does not compare to one soul being saved. One life being transformed. That is the power of God through you, through the Holy Spirit. That power manifests in this world through you. Like Peter, filled with the Spirit of God. Right? Nowhere in Scripture does it say that he's ever said any sermon, stands up, says his sermon. I don't know where it came from. Power of the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, 3,000 people are saved. This is the power of God. And it works through you. It's not you doing it, right? It isn't. You know, a lot of times you think, oh, I gotta do, like, oh, I gotta move to Africa, or I gotta move to Central America, or, I gotta move this place, and I have to go and do God's work. No. If you think that you have to do anything, you've missed it. It's about God doing things through you. In you. And, and here's the thing, the Holy Spirit's power is at work in you to bring conviction into the world. When you're, when you're like really, you know, being led by the Spirit of God and you're living your life and you're, you know, coming into contact with people and, and they're able to experience the presence of God through you, right, you're going to bring conviction into the world. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to him, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's conviction. Right? And it can only come through the Holy Spirit, but He chooses to bring it through you. Do you know that? Only person, only person that can bring conviction into the man, hearts of men is the Holy Spirit. But how that conviction gets there is through you. Through them interacting with you, them hearing your testimony, them, you know, talking to you and being healed through you and, and you ministering into their lives. As the Holy Spirit brings conviction into the world through us. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, the church is to be led by the Spirit of God. And number four, this is my last point, as the church led by the Spirit of God is grounded in the Word of God. Verse 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings 
and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. You have to remember, they didn't have Bibles back then, right? They didn't have Bibles back then. And even the, the Old Testament scriptures were not readily available to most people. First of all, most of them didn't know how to read, right? So it was only in the synagogues, you know, and only the priests would read them, right? And so it wasn't readily available. So what was readily available? It was the teaching of the apostles. How did the apostles? Why the apostles? Because they spent time with Jesus. They knew the words of Jesus in their heart and in their minds. And they would, they would, so basically by them listening to the teachings of the apostles, they're listening to the words of Jesus. They're listening to the word of God. They're studying the word of God. They're contemplating the word of God. And they devoted themselves to the word of Jesus. They devoted themselves to the word of God. And what I want to end my sermon here is that sometimes we, we as a church, you know, we're very unbalanced. We're, you know, either very heavily Holy Spirit, you know, up in the clouds, and we're very, like, not so much in the Word, or we're like some other churches where, you know, they're very in the Word. Word is so very important to them, and then not so much into the presence of the Holy Spirit, you know. But I believe that, you know, the Spirit and the Word of God go hand in hand. The Holy Spirit inspired the Bible and the Bible is all about what the Holy Spirit and God wants to do in your life. Right? It, 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 you can't separate the two. It's a one-two punch. You can't neglect one and, or, or the other. We need both. We need to be in the Word. That means us as individuals and us as a church, we have to focus on the Word of God. We also need to create an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit, we invite His presence, we invite... You know, the leading of the Spirit, the wind and the fire to flow through our church. We need both. We need to be balanced. And before I close in prayer, I want to have time you know, to pray. I want Tiffany to come up and if you guys, if you can kind of lead us through some music. Now in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, we hear about being filled with the Holy Spirit over and over again. We're all to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is different than the Holy Spirit living in us. We all have Holy Spirit living in us. If you're saved, Holy Spirit is in you. Right? And He's not going to leave. He's there for life. But we're also to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now all throughout the Bible, it talks about Paul being filled with the Holy Spirit, said this or did this. Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit, did this. In Ephesians 5.18 Paul commands the church to be filled with the Spirit. He says, And do not get drunk with wine, for, there, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a strong correlation between being filled with the Holy Spirit and surrender. A lot of times the reason why we can't be filled is because we have too many things, we're holding on to too many things in our lives. Too many things that are, that are, that are, consuming our lives. And these things may not be bad things. They might be good things. They might be things that God has placed in your life. But it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be, it can be the number one most important thing in your life. And I believe what the Holy Spirit wants to do is for us to really surrender everything to the Lord. Surrender everything to Him and, then, and, and when in that place of surrender, we're able to be filled with the Holy Spirit.
There's a lot of the things that we see in the book of Acts and the epistles and the law of the, all the ways that the supernatural and the power of God manifests in the lives of his people is through being filled with the Holy Spirit. So I want us to take a moment and right now and I want us to pray. I want us to pray and, and have a moment to really surrender. And some of you guys might have heavy hearts. Some of you guys might have things in your heart that you just can't let go of. Some of you guys may be struggling with some sin. Some of you guys may have something coming up in the near future that's really important to you. Whatever it is, right? you want to surrender it to God. And here's the thing. God doesn't want to take away those things from you. If it's sin, yeah, He wants to take away sin, right? If you're struggling with sin, you surrender. God's going to fill with the Spirit of God so that you, you don't struggle with that anymore. He helps you in that. But whatever it is that is kind of consuming your heart, Maybe a good thing. And God doesn't want you to surrender it so that He takes it away from you. God wants you to surrender it so that you can have the best version of that that you can possibly have. Because when you're filled with the Spirit, you're led by the Spirit of God. And you have, and you have to, in faith, know that the Spirit of God will take you to the best possible outcome. Not according to your understanding, but according to His understanding. That the Holy Spirit, once you're filled with the Spirit of God and you're being led by the Spirit of God, you're going to go and God will take you to the place that He wants you to be. A lot of times that could be scary. A lot of times it's a little scary to venture into the place that God wants you to be. Because in your mind, you have an understanding of where you believe that you you think that you should be in your heart and in your mind you think I, I should be doing this I should have this I should be here in my life it's a little scary to say God I surrender it to you fill me with your spirit so that I can be where you want me to be but right now in faith I want you to surrender Whatever it is, surrender it to the Lord because in that place, God can fill you with the Spirit of God. Help you to be led by the Spirit of God. So right now, if you guys, as you guys all have your eyes closed and you guys are in this place of prayer, whatever it is, whatever the Holy Spirit is leading upon your heart, I want you guys to spend some time in prayer and Surrender that to the Lord. Maybe feel a little scary letting go of certain things. And when you're a parent, God tells us to give him our kids. 
that's a scary thing. Now, as a parent, you know, they're so little, they're so precious, you just want to hold on to them. You don't want it to give them to anybody, even God. You're like, God. You know, you know, that reminds me of the whole scene of Abraham and Isaac. And God tells him, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. And Abraham's like, at first he's like, what are you talking about, God? But in his obedience, he's able to experience the fullness of what God has for him. That was a little scary. If God didn't intervene at that moment, he would have actually done it. But that's, that's the expectation that God has for us. Are you willing to give up the most important thing in your life so that you can have the most important thing in your life? That you can have and be at the center of God's will for your life. So as you guys have been surrendering, whatever it is, if you've surrendered and as you continue to surrender it to the Lord, I want to pray a prayer for God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. So Lord, I pray right now that you will fill our hearts with your Spirit. Holy Spirit, come upon us now and encounter us and fill us with your Spirit. May we experience the fullness of what the Spirit of God wants to do in and through us. May we be filled with your Spirit. May we be led by your Spirit. May we be guided and shepherded by your Spirit into the center of the will of God for our lives. Lord, help us to completely be dependent on you because we know that what you have and who you are is the most important thing. You don't want to take things away from us. You want to give us your best. So, Lord, we surrender it to you. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Help us to experience the fullness of your grace and your mercy and your spirit. We thank you, Lord. Let's close with that last song. Um, and let's stand up and let's worship the Lord. <laughs>